I am calling a beautiful joy. Uh, the uh, the this this idea of beauty or um, um, of 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 image of imaging yourself in a beautiful way is um, is is a part of youth culture, right? We want to be seen, we want to be known, we want to be accepted, we want to be attractive. Um, so we're going to look at how does how does what is joy and how does it have to what does it have to do with our beauty. So um, I'm going to read Philippians 2, 12 through 30, and, um, and then I'll pray for us. Sound good? Good. All right, Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, also, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor and, such, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking for your service to me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, again, for just the words of Paul to the Philippian church. And I do pray that this would help us understand um, what, is, what is a beautiful joy a joy that um, is attractive to others, a joy that is attractive to us, a joy that is worth um, shining brightly in the world that we are in, um, a joy that embodies the light of Christ and that reflects it to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So sorry, I was so distracted while I was reading that because of the bags, and uh, it reminded me of this meme that I saw. So So my kids, like, I could tell my kids like a thousand times like to do something, but I could be like five miles away and open a bag of chips and they come running like, ooh, you got some? So, what do you got there? You got chips? So I was like, 
anyway, that's all I could think about was, was that. Anyway, so, back on track. So, um, how many of you know what that is? A diamond. That's right. Diamonds are forever. Mining. So, that's, that is the size of the diamond that I bought Addie for her on her ring. No. Um, so, diamonds are known as the most beautiful stone. Right, I'm sure you guys have heard this. That's why there's the tradition of putting, you know, when you get engaged to have a diamond ring on your finger on, on the ring, and if you can afford it. Um, I was lucky enough to have a, a grandma who gave me her diamond so I could just put it on uh, a ring and give it to, to Addie when we got engaged. But clutch, seriously, it was clutch. Um, but diamonds are the world's most beautiful stone. And what's, what's interesting about diamonds is that they really are just a rock. And what people would say makes a diamond beautiful is not the, the, the diamond itself, but how it attracts the light, absorbs the light, and then reflects the light back. Right? And the most beautiful diamonds are the ones that shine the brightest. And if you think about what a diamond goes through, I don't know if you know what, um, what a diamond does to become a diamond, but it's like the sharpest, no, it's the strongest, uh, it's carbon, right, that's been, that's been pressurized over, you know, lots of years and um, but a diamond can only be cut with diamond. So, uh, but, but a diamond will rest uh, as a, a mineral uh, in the ground, in probably a quarry or something like that in darkness until somebody comes along and sees it and picks it and selects it and pulls it out of the darkness that it's in. And then it takes it and it buffers it and it cuts it. And there's these things called like princess cut diamonds and like the ideal cut diamond, which is like, where they're in perfect, they're cut in such a way where they're like in perfect symmetry with one another. So they, like I said, they display the most light. But, but a diamond is beautiful, not because it's uh, anything in of itself, but like I said, it's beautiful because of the light that it absorbs and reflects to your eye. And there's this a great song by this person named Andrea Marie that uh, compares us to, not diamonds, but rubies, but you catch the, the illustration, right? Because rubies are similar, they're just not as... Um, bright as diamonds, because rubies are red, right? Right, isn't it rubies red? So anyway, in her song, I'll read the whole song to you. It says this, which I think is true of us. We are all rubies in the dust, waiting to be seen, waiting to be clean, just longing to be free. So pick up your head, for I am your friend, and I have seen you in the darkness. And all that you don't understand, I will take and make into something beautiful. You've made yourself a home in the answers you don't know and the questions you can't find trying to live a different life. And I have kept you, and I will heal you. So pick up your head, for I am your friend, and I have not left you to yourself. And I will show you, for I have shown you into my, sown you into my side and made you into something beautiful. And then the song finishes with the chorus again. We're all rubies in the dust, waiting to be seen, waiting to be clean, just longing to be free. God is beautiful, right? We don't know uh, what God looks like because he's a spirit. So when, when we talk about the beauty of God, we're not talking about physical appearance. We're talking about character. We're talking about who he is. He is something and someone who once beheld is, is responded to as beautiful. And we are created in God's image to reflect his beauty, much like a diamond reflects the light that it absorbs, we were created in God's image to know His character, to know who He is, to embody 
Him and reflect it to those around us. But the problem is, is that we're what? We are lost in darkness, right? And like this song mentions, we are all rubies in the dust, right? We're all trapped in the mines of the ground. But, and, and, and something needs to come and see us and clean us and set us free. And when I talk about a beautiful joy that is Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. It's that we were created in God's image like diamonds, right? But we're stuck. We're stuck in the minds of our sin. We're stuck in the minds of the world. We're stuck in darkness. And Jesus has come and he has set us free. And he has, his light has shine, shone in our hearts. And because of that, he is changing us, working in us, so that his beauty will shine brightly through us. What makes a diamond beautiful is not the diamond itself, but the light that it captures and then reflects. The more beautiful a diamond is, the more light it will take in and then display to all those who might behold it. God is beautiful, and He has created us to display His beauty. And in this reality is where we find our true beauty and the joy that God is making us beautiful once again. So much of our, our human labor, our labor on this, on this earth is to be beautiful. It really is. And that word may sound funny to you, but, but it's to be attractive. It's, it's so that people see us, right? So people behold us, and they like us, or they want to be like us, or whatever it may be, right? We all long to be beautiful. And the good news about Christ is that He makes you beautiful. And it's not because of your outward appearance, or because of your skills, or because of uh, your spiritual resume, but because of the light that He shines in your hearts by His Spirit, that He dwells in you, that He saves you, that He sees you, He saves you, and He dwells in you, and He makes you beautiful once again. And, and, and Philippians 2, what we just read, is all about this thing called the beautiful life. It's a, it, Paul is, is redefining for us what is true beauty and what is the beautiful life by, by commanding us to be obedient, but also, too, by showing us Two beautiful people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, whom he loves, whom he shares with others. So, so tonight we're going to talk about what is the beautiful life, right? We're all, we're all um, either consumed with beauty or we, are, we have um, images and reflections of what is true beauty just thrown into our face all the time. So it's about time that we talked about how does God view us? What is God's definition of beauty? And what we see is that a beautiful life is a life that is, that is not self-absorbed, right? That, that, that longs to be famous, but it's a life that's self-emptying, that, 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 that gives all of itself in a life that is not self-exalting or um, longs for others to exalt us and see us and be beautiful, but that exalts Christ because He is the one who is worthy. So, 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 so what is a what is beautiful? What is this beautiful? It's, it's a self-emptying joy, and, and that is marked by obedience. You know, Paul knows a lot about what it means to be self-emptied. We've talked a lot about Paul. He has been beaten. He's been left for dead. He's been misunderstood. He has been emptied, right? He was the Jew of Jews. He had a great spiritual resume uh, that, that he, as we read before, he counts as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And he knows that, that true beauty isn't, isn't in our resumes or in our appearance, 
but in our obedience, our obedience to God, the beautiful one who calls us into his presence and works in us and carves us to reflect his image. And that's what it means by obedience. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. In our small group um, on Monday night, we talked about this passage, and I asked my guys, I said, guys, what what if the person that you looked up to the most uh, came to you tomorrow and said, this whole Christianity thing, I don't believe it anymore. Like, what if I, as your youth pastor, who have been pastoring you, hopefully, you could say that. If not, please let me know how I'm failing you. I'd love to get better. Uh, But I came to you tonight and said, hey, this whole thing that I've been teaching you for the last four years, it's rubbish. I don't believe it, right? Or what if your parents, who you look up to, who... um, who has, have been walking with Jesus in front of you, said, hey, we're not going to go to church anymore as a family because I just think this is all, all nonsense. How would that affect you? Right? It's, it would probably be a little earth-shaking and, and rattling. And, and what's beautiful about the beautiful joy of Jesus is that there will be people in your life that, that walk with Jesus either alongside of you or in front of you or behind you that will one day say, this is all bogus. This is all madness. And I can't believe that you believe it too. Why don't you join me? And that's not what Paul is getting at here. But, but you see that Paul had a huge influence on this church. They loved him. He sacrificed so much for them. And, and his presence with them meant a lot to them. And, but over the last however many years that Paul has been absent, he's been absent from these people. And in his absence of their spiritual leadership, they're actually still walking with Jesus Jesus, and still walking in the beautiful life that he has modeled for them, right? A self-emptying joy that's marked by obedience, inherent internal obedience to Christ, not to the person who tells you to be obedient to Christ, right? That's a really, really important distinction that Paul lays out for us. And he says so, work it out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not something like go save yourself and work really hard to be saved or to be loved by God. But it's saying there that, that, that God works in us. He invites us to walk with Him. Much like um, you know, our obedience matters in the fact like, um, you know, I heard this great illustration once of like obedience to God is like, is like sailing a boat. And, and God is the wind that blows. And, and, and he, no matter what, God's going to blow our boats, right? God is going to do what He's going to do, whether, whether we realize it or not. And God's going to call us. He's going to discipline us. He's going to change us. He's going to make us beautiful. But, but we have a role in that, in that we've got to catch the wind, right? It's like God is blowing. His wind is moving, um, metaphorically speaking, right? And obedience is just is, is catching the wind, right? It's, 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 it's living in such a way that you trust that the wind is blowing, and you're trying to figure it out, and you're trying to find it, right? And that's the beautiful life. It's that you're so in tune with God's wind, so to speak, that God's presence, God's moving, God's word, that you position your sail in such a way that you don't believe in your own opinions or your own standing, your own two feet, but you trust that God is moving and that he's blowing and that you can position yourself in such a way with fear to work out your own salvation, to check it, to see it, and to do so with fear and trembling. Reverence and awe, maybe, maybe better words that we use because fear and trembling is like, oh, a spider, ah, right? But, but reverence and awe is what he is meaning there. For it is God who works in you both to, like I said, to work in you for the good, for his good pleasure. And then it's in verse 14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
so that you may be blameless and innocent. Um, you know, uh, this is a really, really important thing because what he is referring to here is if you're familiar with the Exodus story, um, God's people were enslaved in Egypt and God raises up Moses and he, and, he, and, he, and he rescues his people out of slavery. And the minute that they, they walk out of Egypt, they start to complain. They start to grumble and say, man, things were better back in Egypt when we were enslaved. We at least had food to eat. We at least had water to drink. We at least had protection, right? God's people began to grumble after they were saved, after they were rescued from slavery. And for us, there's a great warning in there that, that, that a self-emptying joy is a joy that is marked by obedience. And you know that when we don't trust God, when we start to grumble about our circumstances, grumble about what happens, uh, grumble about what we do. And as I was listening to a talk on this, on, this, on this passage, one pastor out of New York had a really, really great, really, really great um, illustration to drive this home. He mentioned that, just imagine that you were, you were, you were told today that you would die tomorrow. That you found out that you have some like some illness that you've got 24 hours to live and and that's it. Then you're done. And then you wake up in two days and you're like, I'm still alive. It's been a miracle, right? Uh, and you and you go to the doctor and you're like, Hey, I don't. You told me I was going to die in 24 hours. I'm 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 alive. What's going on here? He's like, I don't know. You've been healed. I can't I can't describe. I don't know what's happened. Would you grumble then about going to school on Monday if you were supposed to die on Sunday? No, you wouldn't, right? Would you grumble about um, something that has happened to you or a, a, a certain circumstance that you're in? Probably not. Why? Because you would have the joy of life, right? The joy of being alive. You thought that you were supposed to be gone, and you would appreciate every moment that you would have. Well, in the same way, a beautiful life is not a grumbling life because that grumbles against God and what He has given you. He has given you life. He has given you each day to, in, to embrace and to appreciate and to love because he, like a diamond that is being mined out of the ground, is making you into something beautiful through your circumstances, through your, through your lack and through your plenty, through your hardships and through your good. Each day is a blessing from God. And he, in his good wisdom, has given you particular circumstances for you to walk in trust and obedience with. And that is what it means to be a self-emptying joy, is that I don't trust in my circumstances. I don't find my joy in this. I find my joy in the reality that God has seen me and He's making me into something beautiful. We also see that a self-emptying joy is marked by worship. And Paul uses language here that reminds us of um, of, um, Old Testament um, sacrificial system. A drink offering was something that uh, it was a liquid offering that you would pour over the altar. That the altar was was a fire. So when you pour out liquid on top of a fire, what happens? It evaporates. It disappears, right? And that's what what Paul is saying is is what it means to live a self-emptying life. Is that you pour out everything that you have for the glory of God and for the good of others, so that there's nothing left. It's self-emptying that you're so in tune with who God is and His mission and His purpose. That the beautiful life is not a life that's defined by self-glory and self-gain, but a life that's defined by self-emptying and giving out all that you have for others. And then lastly, we see that the... Ooh, yes, and the lastly, we see what is a beautiful life. It's, it's not just a life that is self-emptying because, um, you know, other world religions do this really well. They're, I mean, there's, you look at some um, people who, who, are, who are devout 
um, Muslims, they live a very self-emptying life. You look at, um, you look at Buddhists who um, fast and empty themselves and deny themselves worldly pleasures. Like they live a very self-emptying life. But what they don't do is they don't get the other piece of the coin. Is that we empty ourselves to exalt Christ. Right? We empty ourselves so that we can make much of who Jesus is because of what he's done for us. And through this, we see two examples, really three examples, of what Christ's exalting joy is. First, it's one marked by humility. You know, Paul is really interesting here to me because, um, you know, if I was, um, you know, if I was Paul, um, you know, we'll start, I'll say it like this. So church planting is a thing that happens a lot in churches, right? So a church will grow, and they'll want to say, like, hey, there's a lot of people from Lebanon who are coming down to church, so we're, we want to go start our own work in Lebanon. And a good church will give its best leaders and its best uh, people to go start a new work in Lebanon, right? Uh, when, when, when church leaders begin to hold on to their people and say, no, they're mine, they need to be here, because if they're not here, then we're going to suffer, right? That's when churches get real curved in on themselves and get run, real unhealthy. What we see here by Paul, he is modeling for us a self-emptying life and a Christ-exalting life by not holding on to the people around him, but to give them up so that Christ would be exalted in another place, right? He, he, he is okay with giving uh, the church of Philippi his best men, so to speak, so that they could flourish and so that they can um, walk with Jesus. So it's, and that's, that's the definition of humility, that you count others more significant than yourself. Humility is not some self-defacing character trait. It's no, I, I, I see myself, um, I see others as more important than myself, and I want to help other people. And he says here, I hope to send, you, uh, send Timothy to you soon so that I, I may be cheered by good news of you, for I have none like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare, right? Um, for, all those, for, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. But, you know, Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel, right? You see Timothy's heart to honor Christ, to serve Christ, to come alongside of Paul, to work with him so that Christ's name would be made great. And it says in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I can. Um, uh, And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So here we see the model of Timothy, who is um, somebody who is Christ-exalting, who Paul wants to send, who Paul celebrates and sends to these people to help them. But not only him, but also Epaphroditus, who is marked by service. Epaphroditus is um, um, somebody else in, 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 who had a big impact on the church of Philippi. He's the one who delivered this letter. And it's mentioned here that he was, um, uh, he mentioned him as, as Paul's fellow brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger and minister to his need, right? Uh, Paul is giving his his giving this church somebody who was really valuable to him, right? Because of his heart for to serve Paul and to serve others. Then it gives us an illustration of how he was almost dead and um, how he didn't die. And, um, and because of that, there's still more service for him to do. And then it says in verse 29, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And we see a Christ-exalting joy is one not just marked by humility, but marked by service, right? He, he somebody who, who is so secure in their circumstances, so secure in the Lord that they are in tune with the needs of others and they are willing to go and meet the needs of others 
and they aren't afraid of what might happen. Um, you know, Jesus, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the light of the world. Right? And, and, and not only is God making us into something beautiful, but he's also making other people into something beautiful. And oftentimes, we forget that. Right? What we see here Paul doing is that he, is, he sees people. He sees the beauty of others marked by their humility, their service to Christ, their exalting in Christ. And because of that, he celebrates them. One of the hardest things to do is celebrate other people. It really is. It's because we're so consumed with ourselves that we can't see the beauty of how, how God is using other people in our lives to shine brightly to us. So my question to you is, what keeps you from celebrating the beauty of other people? Is it, are you just too shy to encourage them or tell them that they're important? Are you so consumed with yourself and your own interests that you can't see the interests of others? Um, I don't know. But we see here Paul modeling a life that is marked by beauty, recognizes beauties, the beauty in others. Because we're not looking for others to make us beautiful and to see us as beautiful, which frees us to then see the beauty in others that is marked not by outward appearance or the clothes that you wear or whatever it is that you have standards for beauty, but it's marked by what? Service, humility, self-emptying, and Christ-exalting. In Jesus, we are freed to celebrate others. When our joy is found in Jesus, we are freed up to enjoy others because we don't look to them to be our source of joy. And that's what you see Paul, we see happening here by Paul. So what is the beautiful life? Well, it's many things, but this passage informs us on two specific things. That is a life that is self-emptying and a life that is Christ-exalting. We see that the beautiful life is a life that sees God's beauty, and that is a, a beauty marked by who He is and what He has done for us and His promises and His steadfast love, um, and that embodies that to other people. Because like a diamond, right? A diamond is just a rock from the ground. There's nothing special about it, right? But what makes a diamond beautiful is a light that shines in it and through it. In the same way, what makes us beautiful, you know, all of our, is not our, these things that I named earlier, but it's, it's that Jesus, he's the light of the world. That he came to be put out and raise again so that he could shine brightly in your hearts so that you can shine brightly to him and to one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for Paul. And I know that he's not perfect. And um and that um but but he is um somebody who I want to be like. Uh who can see the beauty of others because he is he sees that true beauty is found uh not in keeping people and possessing people but 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 by celebrating the joy of Jesus that is in others and in us. And I do pray for us tonight that we can think deeply about the barriers that keep us from shining brightly in the world around us, but also that celebrate the lights that are shining around us. And will we be a people who are known not just by the joy that we embody, but also the joy that we see in others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.